Radio. Brendan, get down. Michael Caine's coming. Oh, God. <laughs> He's got a look on his face, too. Just, just shh. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Just... Go, 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 go. Oi! You fucks! Where are you? Get out of here now! I need to talk to you fellas! Get out! Get out! I'm gonna get up, I gotta... Hi, hi, hi Mr. Kane! How, what are you doing? You're hiding under the table like a bunch of little... scaredy cats! Surprised he didn't use a much worse word. Well, I mean, uh, the last time you were here, Mr. Kane, you were, you were rather uh, aggravated, and, and <laughs> we didn't really want to have to deal with that sort of aggravation. Oi! I need to talk to you two. I need to tell you something. And that's why I come here today. Now listen close. I'm sorry. What? I was very mean to you last time I was here. And it turns out that me being on this podcast and you talking about my movies, I got a check in the mail the other day, a residual check, and I bought myself a brand new 2019 Toyota Prius. I did not think residual checks were more than a few cents. I didn't either. I've only ever gotten pennies. Oh, uh, uh, old pennies. It's really old pennies, you know. And, and, and those aren't worth anything anymore. I, I mean, I mean, I'm glad you... Uh, I'm glad such a noble thing has made you change your mind on the subject. Point is, I just wanted to give my endorsement to you, finally, and just thank you for doing what you do and talking about British movies because I'll tell you, nobody else is. It's a real damn shame, you know, that... A couple of boys from the colonies have to be the ones to tell the world about British film. I know it's 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 an absolute shame, Mr. Kane, and uh, but you know what? We're two strong fellows, and we have a sense of duty, and 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 it's our it's our prerogative. It's our royal prerogative, really. As they say. So thank you. Uh, enjoy uh, whatever movie you're watching this week. I heard you watched Get Carter. Did you like it? Uh, yeah, we, yeah, we both did very much, yeah. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Oh, that's good. That's good. All right. Jetpack. Wait, what? But he's not dead. He's not dead. Breaking news. Michael Caine has is it? Is it just that rich people get jetpacks? Is it? Is it not that it's dead people that get jetpacks? Here's, here's the thing, Jason. What's going to happen is in about fi- 10, 15 years, I'm being generous, um, that joke is going to, the people are going to be like, is that a joke? Or are they just saying that he's dead and they're just talking about how dead he is? That's weird. Yeah, I know. I know. When, when jetpacks are common, this won't make much sense, will it? <laughs> I mean, everybody needs to just buy a jetpack. And that's why our sponsor today is Jerry's Jetpacks. Um, Jerry's Jetpacks. When you need a jetpack and you got a best friend named Tom, Jerry's Jetpacks. Jerry's Jetpacks, the, the only bespoke jetpack built to your specifications. To your jetpack specifications. Well, you fill that out. At, I think your parents have to fill that out at birth. Yeah. They have to make a, a guess, an educated guess. And then when you reach the age of seven, um, they can make slight adjustments, but only by about three inches. So they have to be good guessers. They have to be very good guessers. That's why not very many people have jetpacks. That's the thing. And you think they'd come up with a better system, but they're all idiots. It's all bureaucracy, dude. Eh, it's the government. This is the government for you, Brendan. This is what socialism gets us. That's right. Give us back Trump. <laughs> He'll fix the jetpack issue. 
I've always been tough on jetpacks. I've always said everybody should get a jetpack. That's what I've always said. That's what he. That's that's what he what he ran on, and that's why I illegally voted for him in 2016. <laughs> Thank you, Dominion. Shh. Do you want to get sued? Man, oh man, this is a podcast about movies. Um, you wouldn't believe it from the first uh, four minutes of bullshit. It's not just two dumb fucks doing bits, folks. It, it is actually about something. It is about movies. We talk about British films. More specifically, Jason, what do we talk about? We talk about the films as listed on the British Film Institute's top 100 list as ordained by God in 1999. That's right, and uh, we are on our 79th movie off wow. this list. It's this a lot week. of movies we've watched. A lot of movies, and that's not even counting all the non-list movies we've seen. We've seen so many movies. I don't watch a lot of movies anymore, but man, I've watched a lot of movies for this. And so this week, Jason, it's no exception. We're going to talk about another movie off this list, but before we do that, we need to read some comments regarding last week's film, Get Kata. Jason, we've got comments. Well, that makes sense since we always have comments at this time. At this time, dearly beloved, beloved, beloved. Well, we okay. are gathered here, here. Not always, but on these episodes, we definitely have comments. Jason, we have comments about uh, last week's movie, of course, uh, which was Get Carter. Um, I'm, let's dive right in because we got a few here. Uh, people right. have actually seen this movie, unlike uh, My Name is Joe. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sweet. Um, so first off, we got Rob Taylor, and he says, This movie is iconic for many reasons, not least for showing the decline after the swing in the 60s had made England the place to be. It showed how brutality works in a place where guns are not the norm and influenced film and TV for years on both sides of the pond. It also showed Michael Caine could play gritty and nasty. The soundtrack, too, is iconic. I used to be in a psych group. Psych groove band that covered the theme all the time. Send us an MP3, yeah. Rob. That's a groovy fucking song, no question. That's right. I want to hear it, Rob. Let us know. If I have to, hey, hey, if it's a purchase, if it's a purchase situation, hit us up. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. Jason, I want to hear it. I know that. I know okay. that. I, I understand that you okay. want to hear it. But we have more comments, Brendan. All right, fine. Our next but, comment. But I want to hear it. Our next comment is what you want to hear. Oh, okay. Our next comment is from Nathan Robble, or, yeah, Robble. I was going to say Rebel, but it's, it could be Rebel, but I think it's Robble. And Nathan, as long as it's not Rommel. And, you know, this, this man is no Desert Fox, Brendan. Uh, let's see. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, he's, maybe he's a good tactical. Maybe, maybe Nathan is great at tactics. I don't want to make any assumptions. Maybe he's the greatest tactician we've never heard of, but he's not a Rommel. So what did he say, Jason? What did he say? Nathan says, ah, I was excited to finally see it a few months ago, but I have to admit I was quite underwhelmed. I recognize its cultural value and appreciate it, but it felt kind of or it kind of felt like a chore to get through. Maybe I wasn't in the right state of mind for it. Well, it was more understated certainly than I expected, so I see where you're coming from on that one. I was going to say that's like a heightened version of your opinion because i think you, yeah you, you said that you did like it but you i like it it's but not, it wasn't like your ultimate favorite of michael kane no like like compared to something like Ipcrest, like yeah. where there was just more going on like I, I appreciated the kind of simmering nature and the brutality of it but it just felt like a very quiet movie in comparison it's also tough like it, you know it shouldn't affect it but it does sometimes guys when when certain expectations are set and it's something else like 
Well, I mean, and, and my expectations have not been set by anything but, you know, cultural osmosis, really. Osmos- uh, and, and I guess as well as other Michael Caine movies we've watched and similar spy movies. Is that a reference to the hit 2001 film Osmosis Jones? Uh, well, not specifically, but yeah, let's say it, because I bet you okay. this is the most anybody's talked about Osmosis Jones since you probably did a podcast about it on the other one. I was going to say, I should. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like that's a candidate. Um, okay, Victoria Stewart, a repeat offender, All right. uh, says the Limey was influenced by Get Carter, but there was talk about the Limey 2 with Michael Caine and Terrence Stamp. Probably won't happen now, but all the Cockney gangster language you could ever want. Yeah, they, we would have lots. I don't think I've ever seen the Limey, the first one. I don't believe I have either. That was, was that a Matthew Vaughn joint? No, no. I believe that's a Steven Soderbergh movie. Um, okay. And I think that's the infamous movie where he and the screenwriter are doing the commentary and they're like bickering the whole time. Ah, that's fun. Many thanks to you, Victoria, for your comment on this day. Jason, who's this person? Oh, well, after a conspicuous absence last week, Sharon Harwood has returned to the comments. And Sharon, thank you so, thank you so much, Sharon. Thank you for writing in. We feel much better now. Sharon, lift us up where we belong. You tr- truly are the wind beneath our wings. And Sharon says, I haven't seen it. No, you haven't. But my dad has seen it. He thinks it's okay and is, uh, let's see, what is this number? One million times better than the Stallone version. Yeah, there's no, I haven't seen the Stallone version in 20 years. We're going to watch it at some point, And I agree. <laughs> you already know. <laughs> I already know. I mean, and I don't remember anything about that movie. Yeah. Uh, Adam Pellman, another uh, frequent commenter, says, Great, great film, marvelously dark humor throughout, and one of the most brutally cynical endings in film history. Oh, and so one, yeah. just wonderfully shot with the whole, with the fucking coal, uh, the coal train thing. It did remind me of another movie, spoiler alert if I remember the name of the movie in the middle of this thought, but it did remind me of another movie that ended much in the same way where the main character was just casually gunned down and the, that was the end of the movie. And I don't, I can't place it. JFK. I don't see. There was a bit of build up to that one, I think. Um, also, not the main character. <laughs> what? Also, not played by an actor in the movie. Only represented by stock footage. God damn it! <laughs> I think that movie was misnamed. Should have been should, called. Should be called the Warren Commission. It should have been called uh, Garrison. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but then people would. I don't think it would have made as much money. <laughs> is this is this about a bunch of soldiers hanging out in a fort? What is going on here? Is this a, a prescient uh, film telling us about the impending uh, arrival of the South Park television That's show? That's right. That's and the right. character Mr. Garrison. In yeah, particular? that was it was the origin story of Mr. Garrison. <laughs> <laughs> and it was made before Trey Parker and Matt yeah. Stone even had the idea. It's like they they saw it and they're like, oh, you know that movie about the JFK assassination? Yeah, we should base a character on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> I think I was going to say something and all that Now I don't remember uh, We don't need to say stuff We're here to have laughs Adam Pellman, thanks a lot Thank you, Adam Our next uh, our next comment, short to the point Christine Up writes us and she says The phone scene is ridiculously sexy mm. I was, uh, I don't know I, I don't know that I found it sexy I just found it a little uh, strange uh, Perhaps, and, and, and I'm not judging you, Christ, uh, Christine Um but for me, the idea of like doing that while the landlady is there seems uh, rather forward. Perhaps it just goes against my down-home maritime moors. Oh, lordy. Are you getting the vapors? Oh, I have a, just a touch of the vapors, Brennan. I don't know why I'm suddenly slipping into Southern Bell, but that's the only way you can talk about the vapors. If you talk about it in any other accent, you just sound like a crazy person. Let me try. Oh, I'm, I've got the vapors. Oh, oh, hush my timbers. Yeah, get get him dumb. out of here. He's crazy. See? <laughs> See? Um, Thank you, Christine. Yeah, that, w- that w- probably the first 
like you said, maybe the first example of phone sex. Yeah, on and, and pretty blatant. And yes, I'm sure that did get some uh, some dander up uh, at the time, mm. uh, both both of, of an angry variety, but even more so of a fun erotic type of variety. A fun erotic. How many people walked out of there with ragers? Is what I'm. I guess my question. Oh, uh, well, I don't think there were ragers anymore. Men, by the time women, they walked children. out of there, hey! <laughs> oh God, I don't like how that, where that went, Jason, at all. Wait, 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 wait! You're saying they Pee Wee Hermaned it? Our next comment comes from uh, Alistair Smith. Uh, Alistair Smith says, uh, "Love it for a British gangster movie. It's really great that it doesn't take place in London and instead goes to a working class part of the country. Somehow, it in a good way, it adds a whole other level of grime to the movie. Absolutely." And it acknowledges that poor, poor people can do crime just as well as rich people. Maybe just not on the same scale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and our final comment, Brendan. Yes. Direct from the brain of Andy Udick. I assume that's how it's said. Uh, Andy says, I like it quite a bit. There is a ton of ideas crammed into the film, perhaps a couple too many, but it holds together. There are attitudes that would, I'm sure, be off-putting to some viewers. So it was a rough time full of white people who uh, just uh, didn't give a shit, and many of them still don't. Well, those are the comments, Jason, but now comes the fun part. I'm just kidding. I love reading comments, but now comes the f- another fun part. Oh. Uh, where we're going <laughs> so genuine. <laughs> where we're going to compare um, this movie, Get Carter, which is number 16 on the BFI Top 100, to the movie that is number 16 on the AFI Top 100 uh, of 2007. Made in 2007? Mm-hmm. What's going on? It was 2007. Jason, what are we comparing Get Carter to? Well, we're comparing it to, uh, it will shock you, a movie I haven't actually seen. What? I know. Uh, number 16 is the, uh, I believe, the movie that actually at one point topped the comedy list. 1950s Sunset Boulevard, directed by Billy Wilder. Oh, it's Sunset. I gotta go with Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. That's a... That's a, a a linchpin film. Yeah. It is a classic film um, that I know you have not seen, Jason. So you're going to have I've seen the end of it. You're going to have to. Spoiler alert, but it also tells you the end at the beginning. Um, it's one of those. Uh, it's one of those Kevin Spacey. This is the last day of my life or I, I am dead openings. Oh, or this this is where we came in. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, it's one of those wild mountain time yes. like Christopher Walken. I'm dead. I'm dead. Opening. But I'm still narrating the movie. <laughs> um, what was the what's what's the famous line at the end of the movie? Isn't there like a, there's like a punchy like the last line? Where he's like, uh, he says something about it, 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 it's a, it's a gay reference uh, at the end of the movie. Where in what movie? In Sunset Boulevard. Isn't that the one I'm thinking? No, I'm thinking of a different movie. I'm yeah. thinking of uh, what's that one with uh, the crossdressers? Oh, you're thinking of um, some like it hot. That's what I was thinking of when I said atop the comedy list. No, Sunset Boulevard. That's like about an old time Hollywood director or an old time Hollywood star, isn't it? You know. I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeVille. Is yeah. that the movie? I don't know why I didn't correct you when you said it was top of the all-time comedy yeah, list. Yeah, yeah. What like, are you doing? Yeah, sure. It's hilarious. Just agreeing with my bullshit. Yeah, well, you know. All right. So. <laughs> Sunset Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard. I, I will, yeah. I have to go with Sunset Boulevard. Obviously, you are going with Get Carter by default. By default. But I would, I would implore you, Jason, to watch Sunset mm. Boulevard. It is mm. a great classic Hollywood film. But now... It's time to move on. We need to talk about this week's movie. We need to talk about David Lean's Oliver Twist. How about you, governor? Give me some more.
That's right, Jason. That music can only mean one thing. Tell us. What does it mean? Tonight we twist. Come on, baby. Let's do the twist. We are watching 1940... <laughs> 1948's... 1948's Oliver Twist as directed by David Lee. Oh, I thought 1948 was the name of the director. Boy, was I... Boy, is my face red. Well, I guess when Elon Musk has another kid... Uh... <laughs> He'll do the remake, another adaptation. Well, no, he'll name the child uh, uh, 1948, and then 1948 will direct a remake of Oliver Twist. Yeah, because this is the original uh, source material. Yes, this was, yeah, exactly. Charles Dickens himself wrote this screenplay. (laughs) A lot of cocaine. (laughs) He was very old at the time. (laughs) Well, when you're 137, I mean... (laughs) You You need something to keep you going. But yeah, this is this is Oliver Twist. This is number um, this is number forty six, nineteen forty eight. We got that down. David Lean. This is our last David Lean film on this list. Now I have a question for you, Brendan. Yes. Right out of the gate, what is your experience with the Oliver Twist story in your life? So yeah, let's get uh, my experience with Oliver Twist. Let's see. <laughs> I don't remember the movie a lot, but probably Oliver and Company. Yes, absolutely. The the animated Disney film about a little cat. I saw that in the theater in 1988, Brendan. Oh, I did not because I would have been a baby. Well, I was a very small child. And my you were aunt, only 26 at the time. <laughs> I think I was like four, uh, four or five. And my aunt took me. It was my first time ever going to the theater. I don't remember anything about the movie. I just remember the experience of it. But uh, but, but as for the story itself, the Oliver Twist, like it's one of those, and, and I'm sure we've talked about other movies like this, but where my knowledge of it is only really from cultural osmosis. I don't think I've ever seen a version of Oliver Twist like in full. I've only ever seen like parodies of Oliver Twist. Well, well, let's see if you have, Jason, because I have a big list here. Of all of them? I don't know if it's all of them, but it's a lot of them. There was one in 1909. Definitely saw that. <laughs> there was one in 1912. Wow. Um, I'll, I mean, I'm not going to list all of them here. There was a, a silent film one in 1922 with Lon Chaney and Jackie Coogan. Uh, the first sound production of Oliver Twist was in 1933. Uh, then there's this one, 15 years after the uh, last one. And then there's not another one until 1961, a Bengali film called Manic. Um, of course, another movie called Oliver, which we'll talk about because it's also on this list, the musical. Uh, there was an animated film in the 70s called Oliver Twist. There was an Australian animated film in 1982. Um, and then, you know, there's some... there's some, uh, And then there's a big gap... Um, a movie called Twisted that comes out in 1996 starring Billy Porter and uh, William Hickey. Uh, there is one in the, the next year with Elijah Wood and Richard Dreyfus. Okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> um, there is one directed by uh, Roman Polanski <laughs> in 2005. Um, and then there's another one coming out this year. And guess what, Jason? It's going to star Michael Caine as Fagan. Oh, awesome. I wonder if they'll do similar makeup. Now, now I don't know when that was added. By the way, we'll get we'll talk about that. I don't know when that was added, though. By the way, that that twist in twenty twenty one with Michael Caine. So that could very well be not happening or the year after. I also like how as we get as we get further on in our years um, making movies, we like to shorten titles. Twisted twist. It's all we need. We don't Ollie. need to. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them, and I think I'm in the same boat with you though, because like like you, I don't remember like any of Oliver and company except for maybe the Billy Joel soundtrack. And I do remember that there's a Billy Joel soundtrack. And I think, I think maybe he does one of the voices. 
Why not? I mean, they may as well. They probably had him in studio. He could be like, yeah, I'm a jazz cat. I, I mean, have you heard of Billy Joel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but he would, he would want to be a jazz cat, I bet. That's maybe a bit problematic. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but it was 1988, so anything went. Skibbity bop boop bop jazz cat. Is that the um the jazz uh improv troupe much like ass cat? Yeah, jazz, jazz cat. cat. They 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 somebody comes up and tells a story from their life and then a bunch of people improvise a big jazz number about it. <laughs> it's not nearly as funny. <laughs> no, it's but more it, impressive. But, but uh, you smoke a lot of weed, anything's good, right? Yeah, weed, that's what they smoke. Um okay, so so yeah, that's but, that's it. And of course, the most culturally relevant thing from this movie is that anybody knows whether they've seen Oliver Twist or not is please sir, may I have some more. Yeah, and in this movie, again, this is Oliver Twist. I'll go over the plot in a second. But in this movie, that scene, by the way, where he says, please, sir, may I have some more? Like, let's listen to it real briefly, because it's it's real short. Please, sir, I want some more. What? 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 for more? Yeah, so my thing with that, the reason I wanted to play that is because that's it. That's the scene. And there's no, like, I was always under the impression that he says, like, please, sir, may I have some more? And then there's, like, a whole thing about it. Like, he's like, oh, you can't want more. You get what you get and you need what you need. Well, I haven't read the book, so I, I, I don't know if that's expounded in, in the novel. But, yeah, in this movie, it's very it's very early and it's very quick. But it also is the impetus for him does, to be sent away. And he doesn't want to say it. No, they, it, they, they draw straws. They draw straws. I mean, that's, it is an interesting comment because this movie, obviously, uh, uh, Dickens, I think, was known specifically with this book for satirizing kind of like people's approach to the poor and everything. And we have a boy. He draws straws. He goes up. He's representing everybody because everybody drew straws, right? So in this mass action that they take, he, he walks up and he asks for more. And the idea, I think, that he would even, you know, presume to do that is scary to everybody that runs this place because the idea that they might actually all work together on something that they might actually see him as a figurehead maybe to rally behind and and try to you know fight for some sort of right as it were yeah they're going to get rid of him and that's why they put a sign up saying uh here take this boy and five pounds and he'll be your apprentice (laughs) they get very scared of a revolution yeah oh yeah well because that's it and and that and that that my friends is a great truth of society the, the overseers will always fear the underlings' rebellion. They always will. And we should take them and we should cut their throats. Sorry, got a little political there. No, Jason, get political. Let's let's talk <laughs> about it. Let's let's interview this chair. Let's do it. Let's let's bring this chair on stage and President ask. Obama, if that is your real name. How's the how's the weather in Kenya, babe? How's it hanging, babe? Yeah, you remember when Dennis Miller did that interview with the chair? <laughs> yeah. See, now that would have been entertaining. I would I would have enjoyed that because it probably would have been funny. Uh, Let me ask you, Mr. President, have you ever seen Bordello of Blood, babe? <laughs> me neither. <laughs> I got a million dollars as a as a joke, babe. <laughs> so yeah, Oliver Twist. So the story of Oliver Twist is, um, I mean, most of you probably know. I have a gist of it. But it's basically um, this woman uh, gives birth to a baby. She dies just as the baby is born. That baby is named Oliver Twist. Interestingly, Brendan, interestingly, this bit at the beginning of the movie, while alluded to in the book, is not actually in the book. It's, it, I believe it opens with Oliver in the, 
you know, kind of telling his story, but like, there's not this scene, this scene as well as the end of the movie are different from the book slightly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so he's, he's put into a workhouse with other kids. Um, eventually, like we mentioned the head, can I have some more scene happens and, uh, he's, he's kind of moved around. Like he's moved to a place that's not quite as bad. Um, and then he, you know, escapes there, gets to, uh, gets in with a bunch of criminals led by Fagan, who we'll talk about for approximately seven hours on this podcast. Um, and his, you know, his thieves, like the artful Dodger, another character. I did, I did know the name of him. Yes. I've heard the name. name. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, of course, um, he gets into criminal mischief a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, he's at one point he's in another, uh, house and it's a much nicer couple. And basically it's just him bouncing around and trying to avoid, you know, trying to keep eating, stay fed and stay safe. And there are approximately maybe two and a half good adults in this movie. Everybody else is has been totally fucking uh, uh, Oliver over the whole time. You say two and a half? Two and a half. Because Nancy uh, is shitty, oh, but ultimately, yeah. you know, does try to right. do good for him. And the other two, of course, being the the old the old couple that in this movie are his ultimately his grandparents, I think. Yeah, that's the twist. That's that. That's, <laughs> that's the called. Oliver twist. That's the Oliver twist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Which is interesting because in the book, that's not the case. In the book, um, uh, this guy is a friend of his father's, I think. Do you, do you think do you think uh, M Night Shyamalan is David Lean reincarnated? There's a good chance. Just the twist part. Well, what if what if and I'm putting this out there, putting this out there to you, uh, M Night, if I can call you M Night. I want to see your remake of Lawrence of Arabia. It would have all white people. Maybe maybe that's the twist. <laughs> Lawrence is an Arab, and all the tribesmen are white people. They were white the whole time. They raced among you. Now, calm down, Jr. Let's not let's not cast aspersions no, here. No, I'm gonna tell you right now. If you white, then you white. If you black, then you black. I will not let you besmirch the name of Jr. with uh, with this kind of talk, my listen, friend. Listen, listen. I gotta go. Something taking something that don't belong to them. Jetpack. Why does this jetpack sound like a bus? I don't know. And why is he covered in barbecue sauce? That's what I well, want to I know. Well, I mean, I mean. Is that a promotional tactic? I don't know. <laughs> he's, still, he's still plugging it. <laughs> um, so so going into this, Jason, you 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 have never seen like an Oliver twist from beginning to end, or at least didn't remember one. Yeah. Did you know like the the plot beats? I mean, I knew he was a put upon ragamuffin. Uh, I, but it's funny because going into this, I thought that this was a much more whimsical story because I I was thinking of Dickens and thinking of him being whimsical, but also we watched the 1951 version of a Christmas Carol and it was pretty fucking dark. It was dark. So the idea that Dickens was whimsical, I think that must come from the cultural osmosis of it. Like that, that it, you know, you get kind of this idealized Victorian view. I, I suppose it's from the world too. This, this idolized view of what Victorian England is. And then we go and watch this movie and this movie does not do that. This movie is not an idealized version of Victorian England. This is a gritty, grim fucking existence that was probably closer to reality. I mean, it is a gorgeous movie. Oh, it is. It's gorgeous. It's a very nice movie to look at. Um, but yeah, I can see, I can see maybe, maybe that gets lost through the years just based on all the adaptations too. Cause I mean, like you said, not like, you know, 20 years after this, um, a musical comes out and I haven't seen it yet. We haven't seen it. We haven't talked about it, but I've got to, th- I've got to think, I've got to assume that it's lighter than this. It is. I, I was reading a little bit up on it and it does change a few things uh, that make it a little less dark, uh, than this version. Certainly. Um, 
But uh, no, this this is a grim movie that, I mean, I, I felt so bad for Oliver throughout it. He's just this poor little boy who's trying to make a fucking go of it. And he just keeps getting shit upon and shit up between the, between the beetle and the matron at the workhouse. And then you've got, he gets sent to a family, the undertaker. Uh, now the undertaker himself is the one that it seems to have any regard for Oliver. And at this point, he also still had his undefeated streak at WrestleMania. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but like, so, um, so like when we start this movie, Oliver's in a situation where he gets no approval mm-hmm. whatsoever. Nothing. He is just a, he, like, he's literally in a baby farm, essentially. Like, and, and of course he acts out and whatever, because nobody gives a shit. And then they send him to this family. But he doesn't act out right away. No, I mean, well, well the implication is, is that he acts out because they bring him to the board and be like, this is the most, uh, you know, like, willful boy I've ever met. You know, yeah. so he's acting out in that way. What's your name, boy? Oliver. Oliver Trusser. You know it's your birthday? No, sir. Boy's a fool. Boy, listen to me. You know you're an orphan. What's that, sir? Boy's a fool. I thought he was. Hush. You know you've got no father or mother and were brought up by the parish, don't you? Yes, sir. I hope you say your prayers every night. Yes, sir. And pray for the people who feed you and take care of you. Yes, sir. Well? You're going to be educated and taught a useful trade. You'll begin to pick oakum tomorrow morning at six o'clock. So they send him off to to pick oakum leaves, and eventually he is then sent to this family because you know he, he wants wanted, more. He rule. wants more food. Um, still getting no approval. He gets to this family, and so he has to work with another servant, two other servants, a, a girl and the older boy Noah, who's a real piece of shit. Mm-hmm. So he's got that to deal with. Now while he's with this family, he gets just the most modicum of approval from the undertaker because the undertaker decides to use him as, as a, what they call a mute who is a, a person who looks sad that hangs out at a funeral and is basically a sort of guardian for the dead. As I understand, is that what that meant? Cause when yeah. they said he was going to be a mute, I was like, are they going to fucking like stab him in the throat? No, that's uh, like when, when he's walking behind the casket, looking sad, like that's, that's what a mute's job is. And then they, okay. they basically stand guard and, and they dress up and they look sad and it's part of the whole ambiance of the funeral. And it kind of follows along with some pu- funerals actually apparently have professional mourners that will come in I and, have heard about that. And, and try to get everybody going. Yeah. Um, so he does that. And, and, and while he's doing that, he gets a little nod from the undertaker and you could see in his heart you could just see in his eyes he's just like yes he's just like this is what it feels like this must be what love is yeah <laughs> and th- and this this like child actor um uh the late oh really yeah no he died he died in 2011 at the age of 72 oh wow okay well i was gonna say this child actor uh john howard davies is a great child actor like i mean and especially given he doesn't actually say a whole lot in the movie he doesn't have a whole lot of lines no. Everything's kind of happening around him, but he's very like natural. Yeah, no, he's and great. Yeah, I, I think I think, but I think this also speaks to David Lean. I mean, we've talked about this is the last David Lean movie we covered. We talked about seven David Lean movies. In none of them would I have would I ever say that the acting is feels half-assed or or you know that they're that they're not specifically going for some some kind of performance. It's always top-notch. So I mean, credit where credit is due. I think also to David Lean. For getting this kind of performance out of a child. Has he had any kids this young, though, in other David Lean movies? I mean, I know we had the younger girl in um, We had Great Chivago. Expectations. Great, I guess Chivago. But they even... Was, was he that? But he wasn't that young. Oh, he was a small child at the beginning of the movie. I suppose, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I think just in general, he's good at directing... I just feel like David Lean wouldn't be the best guy to work with kids. Maybe I'm wrong, but... 
Maybe he loves kids. Maybe he loves kids because they just listen to him. Maybe. Yeah, they do what he they're told. He yeah. doesn't have Alec Guinness there to like question every decision he makes. That's right. So, yeah, so Oliver gets with The Undertaker, and he gets a little bit of approval there, and then he eventually, you know, takes off because he... <laughs> we have a great scene, Brendan, where uh, Noah, the older boy, is needling him about his mother. And as we all know, you don't, you don't fuck with someone's mom. No. You don't do that. And Oliver finally fucking snaps and goes after him and just is pounding the shit out of him, and Charlotte tries to break them up, and he gives Charlotte a pop... And then the, the mother comes downstairs and she tries to stop them and he gives her a pop. Pops her everybody all around. It's like it's like a it's like a dramatic version of that scene in uh, Christmas story. Yeah, kinda. Yeah. He, he Oliver just fucking snaps, and understandably so. He he's been holding on to a lot, and they throw him in a closet and they call the Beatle to come down to him. And so he finally runs away. And he heads to London. And this is where he joins up with Fagan and his gang. And then there he finds more approval. Because he, he has a bunch of kids his age, you know, they, they don't judge him for being poor or whatever. He's not a servant to them. He's part of the gang. Fagin's like walking around, teaching them how to pickpocket, but doing a funny character. And Oliver's loving it and laughing it. You know, he's getting closer to that. But of course, as we learn that, that this, you know, this isn't exactly where you want to be. And at some point he gets taken and, or at some point he gets injured. No, he gets sent to court. He gets arrested because they think he stole that. They frame him essentially. They said, well, they don't necessarily, they don't intentionally frame him, but, uh, the Arful Dodger and his buddy, let him take the fall for them. trying to steal a handkerchief. He goes to court, which ends up, which ends up being the guy that is his grandfather, Oliver Twist's grandfather. By yeah. The way. He goes to court and passes out. And then he, he some bookseller takes him over to this guy. And, and yeah, we find out eventually that it's his grandfather, but there that's where he finds true love. He's got um, uh, the grandfather and, and the, the grandmother, and of course they don't know he's the grandson at that point, but she takes care of him like he is, and he, they put him in bed, they nurse him back to health, and he's finally found, like, I, I guess the closest thing to a fa- like, like actual family ideal that he's ever had. And then that's taken away from him again because he is stolen by Nancy and uh, uh, Sykes. Well, Bill, Bill Sykes. Yeah. Yeah, remarkably easy to uh, abduct a child just in front of a crowd. By the way, um, I was I was gonna say the the thing with Oliver Twist too, and like you know he's always looking for love. He's he's got that little little tiny bit that he finds from every place that isn't the workhouse until he finally finds that nice place. I feel like the cinematography and like the camera angles and the sound just adds to that because almost every shot we see of Oliver, we're looking down. Absolutely, yeah. I noticed that too early on, especially. Yeah, yeah we, we look right down on him and as if, you know, because he's a child. So we would be, you know, we're adults. We're big, grown, strong men. Uh, uh, we're very, very buff. Um, my pythons are 24 inches. What are yours, Brennan? Uh, well, I'm, you know, you're, you're, you got bigger pythons than me. I'm going to admit it, but I'm, I'm at 22 and a half, 22 and a half, but you're well on your way to the 24 inch python. I'm on my way. So, I mean, we are, we are sparkling examples of, of manliness and you can just check our TikTok out to see that. Uh, so for us, we yeah, if there was a kid there, we'd be looking down on him, and and that's what we, the viewer, do. Probably right? physically intimidating them. Yeah, I, I think yes. No, they would be. They, they they would have tears rolling down their face. They would be like, "Please, sir, uh, I don't want anymore." I don't. <laughs> I, t- I take it back. I take it back. <laughs> um, but no, um, yeah. So the the angles, um, and and just like that, we heard that scene earlier where he asked for more. It's that long silence and just the footsteps, right? Like boom. Like the echoey, like the hollow sound to that is just like it's. He's like he's making the long walk, like in Shawshank or something. And we see different examples of that throughout the movie. Like especially the very beginning of the movie, there's barely any dialogue for like the first five minutes of the movie as we watch this woman walk up to the workhouse and everything. And that is a haunting scene too. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing too is not only Oliver Twist, but like that scene at the beginning where we see, you know, 
um, his mother is she's 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 pregnant she's clearly like going to give birth and you can see the way they shoot like they cut back from her to the place where she's trying to go it makes it look so far and it just cuts back and forth and you get all this rain and, and wind it, it all looks and... really good even though it's all clearly like like the, there's exteriors uh, cut between her being filmed on a set but yeah. it, it looks it all works it looks, it looks really good david lee david lean and powell and pressburger on this list always the best cinematographers yeah, that they absolutely. hire and and again lean knows how to use a budget so i don't i don't think i don't know for sure but i don't think this was like an exquisitely budgeted movie but he does things like to make it seem more like he puts tree branches in the foreground uh he had he shoot he does a lot of long shots so it's just a great mix of that. that. Yeah, that whole scene is very tense. It's almost like a horror movie. Yeah. One, one shot I really like in this movie, too, is when we, um, when we see the, uh, you know, Fagin's hideout um, and, and uh, Oliver goes in for the first time with the Dodger taking him in. They walk across this, like, bridge, and it's this great, like, uh, matte-painting city shot where we have a dome in the background, and, but it's all just a little bit off. It all feels like it's just a little bit off. It's very cinematic. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of into the fantasy of the story, but it, yeah, it's really cool. I love it. Well, and 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 Fagin's the design of Fagin and like where all the uh, the you know the little thieves are is kind of interesting too because the whole thing is the door that they constantly have to like take like four planks of wood off to open each time. Like it's such a like paranoid kind of mm-hmm. hideout place, and you're like, oh, whoa, we haven't seen this yet. This is this is kind of crazy. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And in, in a place like Victorian England, you need to protect your shit because clearly there's always people out to get it. So you need to have a big door to protect yourself. Yeah. Well, I mean, I also just thought like because they're they're all criminals. Well, I yes, like. that as well. Yes, they're they're just paranoid because they need to be. Um, yeah, and 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 the thing about the 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 angles too is like at the end of the movie, I did notice when Oliver goes and lives with his grandparents. You know, spoiler alert for those who haven't uh, heard, but the camera is like on his level at the end. Like it's, it's almost like it's slowly, even the first meeting with Fagin, it's kind of on the same level because we're not sure yet. We're kind of like, Oh, Fagin seems nice. He's kind of goofy. Maybe that, maybe we should just talk about Fagin. (laughs) All right, folks. Here we are. Let's welcome it. Let's play the theme music. It is time for let's talk about Fagin. Now, before we get into it, I just want everybody to, so that they know we're just going to hear him talking to Oliver Twist for the first time. I only tried to frighten you. Did you see any of those, uh, pretty things, dear? Yes. They, uh, they're mine, Oliver. All I have to live on in my old age. They call me a miser. May I get up now, sir? Certainly, dear, certainly. gone to work, Oliver. Make them your models. Do everything they bid you do. Take their advice in all things, especially the artful dodgers. He'll be a great man himself one day and will make you one too. Is my handkerchief hanging out of my pocket, dear? Yes, sir. See if you can take it without my feeling it. Is it gone? Yes. Here it is. Ah, you clever boy. Here's uh, a shilling for you. (laughs) If you go on this way, you'll be the greatest man of the time. Now, Jason. Yeah. 
<laughs> just based on that voice alone. I'm, I, I, if I'm not seeing this movie, I'm already getting a little, hmm. Because it does sound like a little bit of a stereotype. My mind goes to Watto. It does sound like Watto, yeah. It does sound a little bit like Watto. There's no other way to say this, guys. He is a... He's he's basically walkie-talking Nazi propaganda. Yeah, he is the eternal Jew. Uh, if you've ever seen uh, the Nazi propaganda film or the like poster from it of like the, the Jewish guy with a massive nose and a beard and whatever... This is basically what Fagin is. It's funny because uh, on the Criterion channel, uh, it, it said, uh, and you know, this restored, uncut version featuring Alec Guinness's controversial performance. I don't know if I'd describe it as controversial. Controversial to me is like, oh, wow, that's like a different take on this. Uh, that's an interesting and, and maybe contradictory way to go about it. This is just a straight up 100% anti-Semitic stereotype in a character. Yeah, it's kind of the Jewish version of Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah, yeah. And and at the time, it wasn't like this just happened. Like, people were like, this is, is this smart? I mean, this this guy literally, this is 1948. The Holocaust just happened. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> Three years before this movie. World War II ended and the Holocaust was finally ended. But like, like yeah, people were literally to David Lean like, is this a great idea to go with this? But um, I think David Lean wanted to kind of maintain the... Uh, original view of what he looked like so here's the interesting brendan i don't know if you know this mm -hmm. so in 1870 whatever whenever they published this as a novel because this wasn't a novel originally it was a series uh, it was like a serial in a paper and they was published over like two and a half years mm -hmm. when it was finally collected a novel there were illustrations and the original illustrator of that book drew fagan basically like we see him in the movie yeah and in early versions of the story fagan was more often than not referred to not as Fagin, but as the Jew. Oh, do you mean 274 times in yeah. the first 38 chapters? There you go. Uh, so later in life, Dickens did revise that and change that because he got some criticism over it. Even in the 1800s, he got some criticism over it. It's like, guys, do we really need to drive home this like as an anti-Semitic canard kind of thing? And he this, changed it. Yeah, this is not this is not a, oh, this didn't age well. This did not age well at the moment it was written. Yeah, yeah, it was a bit of a weird thing. So over the years, needless to say, that character has somewhat been softened. But David Lean clearly wanted to stick very close to what the original drawings uh, in that book were, which is why we get this character with a nose that is like... I don't know. I don't know if a human could support a nose that big. I don't know if that's even real. I will say that uh, Charles Dickens was kind of defensive at first when the accusations came in, but then apparently um, this happened. Like he wasn't finished the novel, so after the first thirty-eight chapters, it's a lot more sporadic. Yeah, like um, I say, I think he went back and did modify it to maybe just refer to him more often as Fagin rather than the Jew. But it. But it, but here's the thing: in the opening of the book, in the first 38 chapters, again, this book must have like so many chapters. But in the first 38 chapters, he is still referred to as the Jew many, many times. But as you go on further past that, it's less and less and less. Yeah. Well, no, because he was writing this over a period of time. Like I say, it was like two and a half years in right. newspaper, and I think a chapter would generally be published a day. So I bet you there's like 60 chapters in that book. Yeah, and apparently only in the in the in the 1970s is when this version was available. This version with the full Alec Guinness performance. Yeah, well, that and that's the funny thing. We we think about the United States and its long history of racism, but also they were sensitive enough back then to to the anti-Semitism to be like, this is a bit much. <laughs> just tells you who's in control of Hollywood, right? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Mel Gibson, get out of here. Yeah, get out of here, Mel Gibson. Well, I'm just saying, mate. The making all the movies and stay. You're not British. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit! 
jetpack. <laughs> please. 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 They want you. <laughs> Stay out of the Irish. Side, Actually, though. you don't need a jetpack, dude. Just a jackhammer. <laughs> Slammed. Um, so here's the thing, too. You mentioned about, like, David Lean just go, want to go full hog and just do this character, right? Even his, um, <laughs> even the production code administration was like, quote, bear in mind the advisability of omitting from the portrayal of Fagan any elements or inference that would be offensive to any specific racial group or religion. Um, so the makeup artist, his name is Stuart Freeborn. He actually was like, a, you know, a part Jewish. Um, and even he was like, maybe we, you know, tone it down a bit. And David Lean said, nope. I want him. I, well, he tried it. To be fair, he tried it. He put Alec Guinness in the toned down makeup, and they did like a, they basically did like a makeup test, um, or camera test or whatever. And he he said Fagin looks more like Jesus Christ in this. <laughs> I, I, I gotta have him. I gotta have him with the nose. See, like I think dude. that would have been an interesting take to have him look like that, a really nice guy. Whereas right? you know, he's a shitbag. Dude, I kind of would. I kind of would have appreciated that. That would have been interesting, like portraying him to look like the Lord when he's like this awful man. But I must say, if we can separate the, the the historical context from it for a sec, if that's even possible, the makeup is great, and the character is distinct. And I mean, Guinness is great in this movie. He's fantastic. We, we've seen his ability to play people of different ethnicities before uh, on this podcast, and <laughs> yes. yeah, he continues to have that ability. And while part of me is like, this probably shouldn't happen, <laughs> yeah. or shouldn't have happened, another part of me is like, he's doing the best he can with He's doing the he's best got. he can, absolutely. I think he's the best Fagin you could expect in that situation. Right. Um, David Lean's uh, defense also, by the way, was, well, we never referred to him as Jewish in the screenplay. We all know stereotypes. Come on. That's like saying, that's like when someone says like, oh, those robots in Transformers 2, kind of racist. And someone's like, well, I think you're more racist for thinking of it. Really? Because the stereotypes are pretty obvious. You mean, you mean jazz? <laughs> what? No, the, the two robots in Transformers 2 that have gold chains, um, gold teeth. Uh, one of them, at one point, they both say they can't read. I assume they were uh, played by Crime Time? Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably not on Peacock. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. You just hear, Brooklyn, bro. And remember, tonight, Triple H will be defending his world. <laughs> this is just a shitty edit. That was only like 10 years ago, too. Yeah, right. Man. Um, so here's the funny thing, too. Okay, you ready for this? Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of objections about Fagan, obviously, in this movie. Um, the Anti-Defamation League of Benai, uh, Brith, and the New York B Board of Rabbis. Uh, were the two big groups that uh, um, uh, pr prolonged the movie even getting released in the U.S. until 1951. So five years after this, or three years after this movie came out. So they basically cut out seven minutes of, quote, profile shots and other part of, parts of Guinness's performance. Um, the film was banned in Israel for mm. anti-Semitism. Okay, understandable. But here's my favorite part. It was banned in Egypt. For portraying Fagin too sympathetic. Yeah, I thought that was funny. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. That was that was the place that uh, Egypt and Israel were in back in those days. Oh, yeah, man. and and that's interesting because now they are. What's sympathetic about him in this movie? Well, this is the fact that he wasn't made to be a complete demon, basically. I guess, but he's pretty awful. But that and that's an interesting little historical thing because now, like Egypt was the first country that made a peace treaty with Israel, like the first Arab country to do that. Yeah. Uh, so they were trailblazers in that way. It's too, I just love the, I just love that that opposite thing. This is this is this is anti-Semitic. Oh, well, they're too nice to that Jewish man. You're portraying this Jewish person as a human. What? Why would you do that? Why does he know how to speak? Yeah. Um. So yeah, that that's Fagan. I mean, Al Guinness. That that's that's what you get. You get what you get. Um. It's not you know in Lawrence of Arabia. We talked about it. 
death is all over this movie. Death, 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 death. We even have, like I said earlier, the guy, the dude that works, the funeral worker, the undertaker. He has a coffin uh, cigarette box. He makes a great joke at one point where the, he's talking to Beetle and he says, Beetle says something about something being small and he goes, oh yes, and the coffins are small too. Referring to like the workhouse and the kids. And it was like, holy shit. <laughs> I like, yeah, that's dark. I like also when uh, the board or whatever that's at the workhouse, one of them says like, well, we can't be having them treating this place like a playground. Yeah. And then it cuts to them just like working on yeah. this like bullshit. Yeah, exactly. That, that's part of the satire of the movie is that these people, they think like all oh, these poor are taking advantage of us. It's turning into a playground. And it's like, they're just, they're literally working and maybe talking to each other. It's like, no, they can't, they cannot have a single shred of pleasure here. Uh, they have to be suffering or they can't have our charity. Um, you talked about uh, Nancy just briefly. Um, Kay Walsh, who we've actually talked about before. I think she was in Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Yeah, she's also mistaken. David Lean's wife at one time. Oh, okay. That's how she got the job, am I right? No, I think she helped to... Uh... Write on the script too, possibly. Okay. Well, she, I was going to say, she's great. Um, she plays Nancy. And she has this... I do want to play like her breakdown. Because at some point, she's like she's not having this. Because there's a real rich history with this character. Because we find out... Um, I mean, I think I, I read online, but I didn't really get this from the movie. But she was like a prostitute, or she is a prostitute. Okay. And she's with, you know, Bill Sykes, who is terrifying. Um, and that she's been with Fagin for about 10 years. Like, basically... Since she was took a her kid. In. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, obviously this is a movie from 1948, so maybe we don't have quite the, the edginess. But yeah, the idea, I, I didn't actually consider that, that she was a prostitute, but that would make sense given the era. Um, but yes, she has been with her with, been with Fagin since she was a child. And I think that's part of why she reacts this way is because she doesn't want to see Oliver necessarily go down that same path. That she did. That she did, We're yeah. We're almost seeing Oliver's future if he keeps the, uh, staying the course. Yeah. Um, so let's listen to her meltdown. So you wanted to get away, my dear? Did you? I wanted to get assistance. Called for the police, did you? We'll soon cure you of that, my young master. You've got the boy, what more do you want? Let him be! Let him be, or I'll put that mark on some of you that'll send me to the gallows before me time. Why, Nancy, you're more clever than ever tonight. Ha <laughs> ha! You're acting beautiful, dear. Am I? Then take care I don't overdo it. You'll be the worse for it, Fagin, if I do. What do you mean by this? You're a nice one, a pretty subject for the boy to make a friend of. So help me, I am. I wish I'd been struck dead in the street before lending hand to bring him here. He's a thief, a liar, a devil, and all that's bad from this night on. Isn't that enough of the old wretch without blows? Come, come, Sykes, we must have civil words. Civil words, Bill. Civil words, civil words, you villain. Yes, you deserve them from me. I thief for you when I was a child not half his age. And I thief for you ever since, don't you know it? And if you have, it is your living. Aye, it is. It is my living on the cold, wet, dirty streets of my home. And you're the wretch that drove me to them long ago. And that'll keep me there, day and night, day and night. If you say much more. Okay, I don't know about you, but I thought she died in that scene. Yeah, it was pretty intense because he knocked her down. Sykes chokes her out. And then they drag her off. 
And I was like, oh, she's dead. And then she shows up the next thing, just kind of drinking and have a good, kind of not a great time, but having a time. And I was like, oh. And then later she dies. I was like, oh. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Bill, I wanted to talk about Bill for a sec. Bill he's a fucking psychopath. He might be worse than Fagan. Yeah, he's he's clearly a man with anger issues, alcohol issues, I would say. Um, and he also looks like uh, British Walter Matthau. I couldn't get it out of my head throughout the whole movie. He's got this round face and the stubble. Just makes well, we're an odd couple, aren't we? Yeah. So, yeah, one of the more brutal moments of this movie, you mentioned, yeah, she dies later in the movie, and it's because uh, he... So Fagan is concerned that there's a, a, a leak within the organization, and he sends Dodger off to trail Nancy to see what she's up to. And Nancy, meanwhile, has gone to see uh, the grandfather, to let her, him know where Oliver is. And, you know, uh, and she, she basically tells him, like, look, I'll tell you where Oliver is and what you need to do, but I'm not going to sell any of my friends out. They wouldn't have done that to me, so I'm not going to do it. Um, but Dodger sees her talking to him, so Dodger tells Fagan. Uh, and then Fagan uh, tells Bill, but when he does, he doesn't straight up, because Fagan is a very obtuse character when it comes to speaking. He loves to talk in riddles and rhymes yes. and, and talk is, around stuff. This also ties into a bit of the Jewish stereotyping thing, yeah, too. But, exactly. And yeah. he, he sort of uh, convinces Bill that Nancy had sold Bill out. Well, he well yeah, but doesn't he start off by saying, like, what would you do if, if uh, the artful Dodger... Uh, was was you know snitching or this person and he said oh I'd beat him and he's like well even if I was doing it well, of course so so it's not even that he just even tells him he like leads him into murdering Nancy yeah which he then goes to see her and picks her up and beats her to death yeah. full on punches her in the face and then like grabs a club and fucking beats her and leaves her there for dead only for Dodger to have to show up and find her he's gone mad I've got that to tell you will make you worse than me hi. I'll look sharp or Nancy will think I'm lost. Lost? She's pretty well settled that in her own mind already. Open your mouth and say what you gotta say in plain words. Suppose that lad that's lying there... Well? Suppose that lad was to peach, to blow upon us all, first stealing out at nights to find the right folks for the purpose, then having a meeting with them in the streets, not grabbed, trapped tried and brought to it on bread and water. But if his own fancy, do you hear me? Suppose he did this, what then? What then? I'd smash his head in. What if I did it, I that know so much and could hang so many besides myself? I'd beat your brains out. You would? Try me. If it was Charlie or the Dodger or... No matter who, I'd do the same. Poor lad. He's tired. Tired with watching for her so long. With watching for her, Bill. What do you mean? Dodger. Dodger. Tell me that again. Once again, just for him to hear. Tell you what? That about... Nancy. What about her? You followed her? Uh, yes. To London Bridge. Yes. Where she met a gentleman. So she did. A gentleman she'd gone to of her own accord who asked her to give up her pals, which she did. Well, she... She did all this. She told it all, every word, without a threat, without a murmur. She did, did she not? And then Dodger immediately regrets his actions, knowing that, you know, whatever he did led to this. And and and, and Sykes, even though, like, I mean, he's a psychopath, obviously, but he even has a moment of, like... Yeah. Oh my God! Because yeah. he has that 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 cool like uh, fantasy 
kind of well, audio fantasy sequence where he's like, actually, no, I guess there's a bit of video because he's thinking about like like Nancy saying, I didn't do what he said I did, which which she didn't, right? Fagin stretches the truth a yeah, little no, bit. Yeah, no, absolutely. She, she doesn't give anyone's name. She actually says to when she meets up with um, this guy who is Oliver Twist's grandfather and she's giving him information about where Oliver is. She says, listen, I'm not going to name any names. We'll do it. I'll get you Oliver, but I'm not like throwing anyone under the bus. And the Artful Dodger says that to Fagin, but Fagin says to Sykes, oh, she gave every name. She, all of us, we're all going to be arrested. I mean, I, I assume because Fagin wants to make an example of her. He doesn't want, he wants I, people to know that I, they don't fuck with him and fuck I, with his business. I also think he just wants the one naysayer out of there. Right? Because she's the one that's always kind of pushing back on what he says. She is a problem um, for him. Everyone else is kind of right there with Fagin. She's always kind of a, you know. She's one of the ones that will actually question him. Yeah. She's not falling for it. Yeah. So and, and then so this movie uh, uh, at the end, so Bill murders this woman and then he is, of course, on the run when it's found out that he did it. Um don't they follow his dog or something? That's right. The dog. Well, the dog shows up, and then they follow the dog to go try to find him. But they knew he had done it by that point because they started putting up signs and stuff, and, and Fagin as well. Oh, right. No, it's because the grandfather. She told the grandfather all this stuff. Yeah. Right. Uh, and he promised that he wouldn't tell anyone. But once she was dead, he right. figured his word was no longer relevant. So he told the police, and they put up all the signs and stuff, and right. they knew who bill was and yeah when it, when the dog poor dog i think he beat the dog at one point he almost he, did he didn't quite the dog gets away i was i was worried about i was about well to no he was gonna murder that dog. Listen, i think he was gonna tie that dog to that rock and throw him in the water listen i had a tab open for does the dog die dog <laughs> i had it ready to go i was concerned um but no the dog makes it out but yeah he does he does he gets a a, a chain with a rock on it and that dog is like fuck this and so, yeah, that's, that's what sets the mob off because they just follow the dog to try to go find him. So anyways, Bill, they have Oliver and Bill takes him hostage. And this is interesting because in the book, as I understand, I read a little summary. In the book, the ending is different because in the last part of the book, I, the criticism of it, I guess, that I read that was um, Dickens maybe fell in love with Oliver a little too hard. And so he doesn't let Oliver actually get taken uh, yeah. uh, the last time. And so the last bit of the book is mostly focused on anybody but Oliver. Yeah, he's kind of a spectator. At yeah, that point. and so in that one, Bill like runs off and then ends up in a tree and then tries to and then accidentally hangs himself <laughs> when he's uh, when he's in the tree trying to get away from the mob. But in the movie, he takes Oliver hostage and gets up on the roof of the house, and uh, a policeman or somebody in the in the crowd with a rifle shoots him and <laughs> fires a shot into him, and then he hangs him, and then he has a rope that is he's then accidentally hanged on. Yeah, so I mean, ultimately he's hanged, but not, yeah, this is a different way. And it is interesting that it doesn't surprise me that Lean would be the more realist approach and be like, no, Oliver's still in the movie. He's the main character. Well, yeah, exactly. From the dramatic approach, it's like, this is the whole thread of our movie. If we don't have him in the back half, it kind of falls apart. Like, he also just doesn't strike me as someone who's like, I have sympathy for my own characters. <laughs> it's like, no, you need the kid to get taken again. And, and it, I get it. It is emotionally hard watching the movie, seeing Oliver constantly being fucked over. But, you know, that's where the drama comes from yeah and and it, it, let me put on my tiny film glasses just for a second jason please do put them Be on because we talked about how he's always like the camera's always looking down at him he you know it's a high angle or whatever the finale of the movie is him climbing up right he's I above mean, he's above bill he's above bill He's finally looking down at Bill. He's got the power. He's got the, he's got the right, you know, I have the right of way back into the left. Really, it's Oliver that's responsible for this because he knocked down the, whether intentionally or not, he knocked down a pot that was on the roof that fell into the water and caused everybody to look up at the roof and see them. Yes. So he was at least 
directly involved in the finale at that point. Yeah, yeah. No, he's he's all over this movie. You might say too much. I wouldn't, but some of you might. I don't know. Would you like an Oliver twist with less Oliver? Let us know. I want a, I want a Bill Sykes movie. <laughs> just like Cruella, but just Sykes. Apparently, uh, uh, comic writer Will uh, Will Eisner, I think that's his name, wrote a prequel uh, to Oliver Twist about Fagin and, and gave Fagin a, like a backstory and everything. Is Mel Gibson playing him? I, I, I the paperwork is is in the mail. Listen, I'd watch it. I wouldn't feel good about it, no. but I'd watch it. You'd have to. You'd have to see. It's the car accident in movies. Yeah. And then the the ending after that too is as Oliver is going to this new ha- house. Um, he's going back with the grandparents, right? We find out. He's entering this like pure white house. Like the camera is right there on everyone's level. No one's looking down. No one's looking up. He just walks right in. He's all excited. And the movie, the music swells and it ends. It's like the most, you know, glorious kind of way to cap that off. We, we should also mention too, because we haven't mentioned him yet, but the, the character of Monks, who is the kind of mysterious man that's trying to uh, fig- find information out about Oliver. And I think it turns out that he, is he like a, another son of the, the old man, of the grandfather? Yeah, in the in the book, I believe that character is Oliver's half brother, and they are both from the same father. And that it's a, but it's a similar situation where he's trying to get his inheritance and try to uh, basically get Oliver out of the picture completely. I also kind of like before we get into before we take a break here. I also kind of like the relationship between uh, Mr. Bumble and Mrs. Corny um, because they they kind of work at they're, they're working at the workhouse at the beginning of the film, and Mrs. Corny has a husband, but then later in the movie. Like he dies off screen and they're a couple. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I guess they get married. And it's funny because early on we see a scene of him talking about like, Oh, you need to do what you need to do because it's a man's prerogative to, to, to order. And it's a woman's prerogative to obey. And then we come around at the end of the movie. We see a scene where him, where he won't do something because of his wife. And the guy's like, well, what are you doing? And he's like, you haven't been married. You don't know. I'm under her thrall. Like, uh, you know, you can't just tell somebody what to do. Like it's a whole reversal yeah. from his original position. <laughs> right. It's, I, I, I wrote down, um, his misogyny was used against him. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> he, try, yeah, he tries to throw her under the bus and say, Oh no, no, she's all doing all this. And he's like, well, how can she, if she's only work, if she's only directed by your word. Exactly. Yeah. It comes back to bite him. <laughs> when I come around, bum, bum, some 41 now that was music is that some 41 i think that's i thought that was green day i just like that line from snl snl if you haven't seen it folks saturday nights on global in canada fun it's a fun show on nbc in the u.s you can probably watch it on peacock saturday night live saturdays at 11 30 eastern time fuck it they do it live okay well on that note jason we are going to take a brief commercial break hear from our sponsors and we will be right back Age of Radio. Bits and bobs and bits and bobs and bits and bobs. And bits and bobs. And bits and bobs and bits and bobs and bits and bobs. Bits and bobs, bits and bobs. Okay, just go. All right. <laughs> Love the opening shot to this movie. Very beautiful. The dark landscape. We talked about it. It's great. Uh, wordless opening. You don't need dialogue sometimes, Brendan. You just fucking do it. At all. Let's make it all silent film. Yeah, Fuck hey. It. I mean, uh, I bet you the silent film version of this would work really well. Well, actually, I, I wanted to mention, too, we, we get some weird callbacks to silent film in that we have a couple of, like, 
text moments yeah. that are placed on the screen that kind of explain a bit of the story, which feels a bit clunky by modern standards. But I guess given that it was a book, okay, I'm fine. I forget, I forget what exactly they were because I kind of read them and I was like, oh, well, the first one was like about Oliver living in the in the workhouse, and then I think the other one was about when he gets to London, just kind of explaining his trip. Maybe do you think maybe Lean does this to um, so that he doesn't have to include everything in the book? Maybe. Well, yeah, and then there was definitely stuff that was cut out of the book. I think. But um... now, first of all, before I make this before I make this comparison, keep in mind this movie is a lot better than the movie I'm about to, okay, I'm about to yes. mention. But in the Last Airbender, there are a lot of moments where the character just narrates, and I, you listen and you're like, that that could be a good four or five scenes. So it just, it reminded me of that, but that's like the bad version of that. This is like the fine version of that. I find it interesting. So the, this woman shows up at a workhouse, has a baby, dies, and then the doctor just leaves the baby there. Like doesn't call anybody. Nobody comes to get them. I guess because that's where the kids are anyways, and they have that baby farm, but it also is, it just seems kind of fucked up by modern standards. She also does the immediate death trope. Yes. She sees the baby, she kisses him, and then... Yeah, which I, I, mean, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't like a huge trope yet at the time. I laughed when they, uh, I, I don't know if this was a specifically self-referential thing or a meta joke, but where um, I think uh, the matron tells the, the beetle, she goes, uh, uh, you're quite a literary character. I wrote that down too. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, I, I, wonder, um, I wonder if there was controversy showing the baby being born because there was no husband in 19 and this was the 40s yes so yeah because oliver's father is never discussed baby born potentially out of wedlock like that's that's a thing well because they don't see a ring on her finger they, they specifically point that out oh no ring on her nobody finger. liked her enough yeah. to put a ring on it single ladies almost single ladies so gruel is a real thing thin porridge kind of soup type meal god damn it jason we fucked it up we should have eaten gruel while talking about this po- this movie that's true that would have been the the smart thing instead of drinking this delicious beer which the children would not have been allowed to have until they were nine <laughs> well i mean you got to be responsible yeah exactly um i've never had gruel i've certainly had oatmeal uh but if you took that oatmeal and added you know at least half as much water you'd probably get gruel that's gross Oh, I, when they bring him into the coffin uh, maker's house for the first time and he gets to go to sleep in the room where they make the coffins. But at this time too, in England, like this is, I, I believe this movie, or I believe this story takes place in like very early 20th century or very early 19th century London. So, you know, this was a time when death was very common. Um, you know, it was so much infant mortality and as well as disease. And like, like by this, like this is like the Napoleonic era, I think almost like, we still hadn't figured out sanitation, so there was still massive dysentery outbreaks and things like that. You have to admit, though, infant mortality is a pretty good name for a band. Yes, like a, like a metal band. Be a great metal band. New yeah. metal. My yeah, favorite genre. Playing train spotting songs. <laughs> the scene, uh, Just that, one more hit! <laughs> another scene that really sticks out for me, with like, especially with the sound design again, is when the kids are like um, sneaking around and they see all the like adults eating this like feast mm. and just the clink clink and the chewing and everything like that is just heightened just because that's what they they're hearing right it's 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 I, I wonder if Terry Gilliam saw that scene and and because I feel like that feels like he would do a scene like that except it would be even bigger and there'd be yeah. more there'd be deeper angles and there'd be more sound and it'd just be like rah, 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 rah. yeah the the woman from soap would be getting plastic surgery absolutely right in the background yeah um again everybody's an asshole in this movie like that uh, the old hag then that's what they call her i'm not just calling her a hag but the old hag that takes care of um uh uh 
Oliver's mother as she's dying. Agnes, I believe is her name, uh, the mother. Um, she is like eyeing that necklace the whole time. And she does eventually steal it, although it turns out that she had held on to it and put it well. <laughs> she had pawned it uh, and had a ticket uh, for it. So she had gotten some money for it, but she had been holding on to it for Oliver because that locket, it turns out, contains a picture of his mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which she was wearing around her own neck, which is a little weird, but <laughs> it's an interesting little storyline, though the thr- throw line that goes through this, where the that woman shows up and you know reveals the truth, but only to Mrs. Corny, and then Corny denies you know that she said anything. What what I like too is when that old woman is like gonna tell the story about like who Oliver Twist's mother was. You notice when she sits up, it's very like vampiric. Yeah, it's very like vampire, like zombie, like. Almost to like, I mean, in the year this came out, Dracula would have already come out. So maybe that's Lean's little thing. I don't know. Because, I mean, you're already doing like a horror kind of tone to it. Why not go the full way? I want to say that um, there was a guy, there was a townsfolk that uppercutted uh, Oliver Twist when he was (laughs) running around. Yes. Right in the mouth. And Jason, I think we have a nominee for most British performance, um, is that guy that comes into the courtroom um, and says no, no, no. That's not the ba- that's not the guy that that uh, that robbed that guy. I saw the whole thing, and they say, well, why didn't you come in here earlier? He's like, well, I would have had nobody to tend shop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> can't can't close the store. You gotta make money. That's right. Uh, the old ladies um, that work in the workhouse there uh, were great character actresses. I gotta say, they they really they had a good look to them, but they were also doing snuff. The first time I saw that in a movie, by the way. I was like, why is this old-fashioned movie... Why are people doing cocaine in this old-fashioned movie? Which is understandable why you would think that, but snuff is a form of dried tobacco that uh, people did. And it's really weird because about... I don't know, a few hours earlier, I was on YouTube and I randomly watched a video of Brian Cox, the actor, going... He was in a documentary and he had gone to Scotland and was trying some snuff because they they still make snuff in Scotland. It's still, I guess, kind of popular there. Um... And uh, he took a little hit of it. And I thought, that's a weird connection. But then also, he was in a movie. I think he was in the Sharp movies. And, and his character does snuff in those movies. So we got connections all over the place. So is it the same as smoking? No. What it is, well, I mean, in the sense that you're getting a nicotine blast, right? Like you would get from smoking or dipping or whatever. But you just, you take a little bit of powder. You put it on your, right on between your thumb and your forefinger. And apparently that's what they call, apparently that spot is called the snuff box. Because okay. that's where you put your snuff. And then you just kind of go... <laughs> And uh, suck it up your nose, and then you have a handkerchief handy because you probably your nose will probably run. But you get like a, I guess you must get a good nicotine blast from it because Brian Cox did it. He like takes the sniff and he goes, "Whoa!" He goes, "Whoa!" That was a little stronger than I expected. Whoa! <laughs> that's that's interesting. I, I I would love to just I would love if there was just someone here that just did that, and so they did. So <laughs> they go to like a smoking section. Everyone's just puffing away. They just take out their snuff box. <laughs> <laughs> I want to try it sometime. I just want to say that I did once. Sure. I mean, that's a, that sounds like a terrible way to smoke. Yeah. It's not good for your nose, but... Uh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Sykes, by the way, I got a lot of... Um, I don't know about you, but this... Because Great Expectations we talked about that came out like pretty close to around this time. I got a lot of like uh, memories of that movie, especially when Sykes is right there in Oliver's face, like threatening him. Reminding me a lot of the beginning of a Great Expectations was when Pip is being threatened by that uh, that dude who who was played by Robert De Niro in the in the really good adaptation <laughs> of it by Alfonso Cuarón. <laughs> when he says "motherfucker" like eight times. Uh, um, what else we got here? Um. So special props to the uh, character of Noah. 
Uh, oh, yeah. The older boy, he was wonderfully sweaty and greasy and, and just looked like a piece of shit. So great, great on the actor. Good job. Good job looking like a piece of shit. Absolutely. Of course, you get some corporal punishment in this movie, which very there's surprisingly little corporal punishment in this movie. You'd think there'd be more, but uh, he does get whacked with a stick. I thought they were going to give Noah a piece, too. I like the guy that uh, walks through the town. So after Nancy's been murdered and like her body was found and everything, the guy that's walking through the town is just like, murder in town, murder, there's been a murder. Brutal murder. So I guess that's like the old fashioned version of like the CNN news. Pretty much, yeah. The town crier would let everybody know what was up. (laughs) Hello, there's been a rape in town, a rape of a small child. Protect your children. Also, the price of wheat's gone down seven cents. Exactly. You get everything. Uh, when I first saw Fagin come on screen, I thought, is this dude supposed to be a Jewish stereotype? And then I realized, oh shit, that's Alec Guinness. It didn't, it didn't occur to me at first. See, I knew, I, I had read that he played Fagin. That's the only way I would have known. But, the, but after a while, I was like, oh no. <laughs> you bet, this better be a good performance, Alec, because you're fighting against a lot. And thankfully, he is all, always really good. Yeah. Uh, Oliver passes out in court because he's sick and it's never said why he's sick. He's just sick. I think he's just dehydrated because yeah, he asked for water and, and the judge is like, no, you're not getting water. Uh, he's just faking. This is, this is some kind of vagrant trick. And I'm like, what vagrant trick could be Oliver, t- <laughs> somebody just wanting water? When uh, Oliver ends up with the uh, the old couple, uh, we see a picture of his mother on the wall, and we know because we've seen the the locket by that point that that is the same, and that we can make that connection. Uh, that's fun. He thought she was very pretty. Oh, there's a good line. Uh, oh, when that so the grandpa has a friend who's a uh, curmudgeonly old man as well. Yes. And uh, he has a great line at one point where he says, "You women never believe anything but quack doctors and lying storybooks." <laughs> i mean so relevant oh yeah to this day women they love doctors and books that's it <laughs> lying storybooks lying storybooks as opposed to the truth ones i thought at some point because there was like a reward for oliver's return i thought that they were going to try to i thought that fagan and his boys would try to like play that and get the money and then like steal him back or something but yeah. it didn't happen fagan was just ripping down the signs which is smart the uh, wanted posters uh, cool dissolve from an empty street. There's a really neat shot where we see kind of the main street that we've seen in the movie and it's empty. And then the camera fades in and, and but it fades to the exact same shot, but there's people in it. And it's really cool. It's very, very advanced, I would say, for 1948. Oh, they do take a shot at Bill once early on. I just, I love that. I just love the idea of this mob being out there and somebody just pulls out a rifle, takes a pot shot at him from the ground, but it misses. It just hits the the door as he closes it. But that ultimately is his fate. They have a literal battering ram that they use to break down his door while the crowd is holding literal torches. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're going after Frankenstein It's here. a real angry mob. Yeah, it's, it's a classic angry mob. The Simpsons would be proud. Uh, so then my last thing I wrote that is Bill shot intentionally and hanged accidentally. And that's a good end for that character. And that is Slash Bits and Bobs. That is slash bits and bobs. It's like fan fiction. No, no, slash no. Fiction? No, it's like an HTML tag. Uh, <laughs> okay. It means it's the end. Slash bits and bobs. All right. So I have a question, uh, Jason. Just overall, kind of, um, why do you think this keeps getting remade? Because I'll just say that Great Expectations. There were a number of remakes. Definitely nowhere near the amount this has, uh, or adaptations, I should say. But what do you think is like so relevant about this? Is it just like the class? I think. Adults like watching movies about children being abused horribly, 
but then uh, making themselves uh, better from it because it means that maybe their kids will turn out okay. <laughs> is that what it is? Yep. That's what it is. Uh, well, maybe, but, but it's also, you know, it's a, for kids too, especially, they relate to Oliver. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, and, and maybe they haven't been through such horrors as he has, but, but you know, you still relate to him. Do you think it's also like kind of like a thing like Shakespeare where, because um, I thought about this too, it's kind of like a thing with Shakespeare where you can have so many different kind of takes on it. Um, cause some things you adapt a certain way and some and you watch it and you're like, okay, that's good. But like, don't try something different. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, this is a movie you could do your 2000 Hamlet style take on, I suppose. Or like even you could do a sci-fi take on this. You could have like Oliver living in like the fucking Warhammer Undercities or something. Oliver twist in Gattaca. That's right. Yeah. Oliver is, is like, he's a non-genetically engineered kid in a world of genetically engineered kids and he's got to make the best of it. Oliver, uh, twist Librium. <laughs> There we go. Yeah, and he knows Gunkata, so that's his oh, uh, shit. advantage. Oh shit! Oliver yeah. Twist in Jimkata. I'm just, I'm just putting him in different movies now. Oliver Twist in Star Wars. Oliver Twist in uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey. <laughs> Oliver Twist in War of the Roses. <laughs> Oliver Twist in War of the Worlds. <laughs> He's Tom Cruise. That's right. Please, Mister Alien, may I not have some more death? <laughs> You did it. That's, that's like quality Jay Leno sketch writing. Thank right you. There. Thank you. I'm, I'm hoping to get a job on his new show, uh, ASAP. He has a new show? I don't think so, but I just imagine he must somewhere. I, I'll go right for his, uh, his, uh, his car show online. I was going to say, Jason, it's probably about cars, so you might want to bone up on Driving your around in jalopies. You know Jay Leno. Yeah. Jalopy Jay, they call him. <laughs> so. They should. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about the, how this movie is received. I was shocked, and I think this must have to do with the fact that it was delayed in the U.S. Because nothing at the Oscars. Wow. Nothing. Yeah. I figured, like, production design. I figured makeup. You think it'd I at least get acknowledged. Costumes. Yeah. I figured, like, maybe even one of the acting categories. Like, nothing. And again, I honestly, I think it's only because it wasn't released in the U.S. until 1951. Um, but otherwise, it is nominated for one award at the BAFTAs. Do you know which one it would have been? Uh, best Cinematography. It is nominated for Best British Film. Oh. But it loses to a movie called The Fallen Idol. Which is not on the list. No. It's not on the list. So apparently it's not that great. Apparently not. Sorry for all you Fallen Idol fans out all there. All you file, Fallen Idoliots. <laughs> is that the sequel Idolers. to Falling Down? <gasps> fallen Idolers. I think it's the sequel to Falling yeah, Down. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know how much this movie made specifically, but it was apparently the fifth most popular film of the British box office in 1948 or 1949. Sorry. Uh -huh. And what were the other four? Uh, well, actually, I, I, the biggest winner at the box office in 1948 Britain was The Best Years of Our Lives, which is a great movie. And that is a terrific movie. Um, and the other movies include uh, It Always Rains on Sunday, which I'm assuming is where Charlie Day got the idea for his television clearly, show. Clearly, clearly. Uh, My Brother Jonathan, of course. Uh, Road to Rio. I'm just going to name some of them here. The Red Shoes. Wait, was Road to Rio a fucking uh, 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 Bob Hope? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Red Shoes, which you talked about. Um, Oliver Twist, of course. The Fallen Idol. A bunch of movies. But it was the fifth most popular one at the British box office. Um, after it finally got released in the U.S., we had people like Bosley Crother of the New York Times saying, It is safe to proclaim that it is merely a superb piece of motion picture art and beyond doubt one of the finest screen translations of a literary classic ever made. Uh, it's one of those movies on Rotten Tomatoes that has 100%. Wow. Uh, over from the uh, critics. And, and David Lean's version of this, by the way, is the one that... I know it's adapted from a book, 
but it's almost like every future version of this kind of get it kind of gets adapted from Lean's version, right? It's like this is the definitive. He kind said of the Oliver template. Twist. Yeah, he said the template, and in some way, like oh, Hamlet, uh, different Hamlets kind of set the tone for yeah. future ones. Which again, like, kind of surprises me that there's two Oliver twists on here. Like that just that sticks out to me a little bit. We'll talk about it if we ever get to Oliver. Hopefully not next week, <laughs> but we will. It's a little soon. I want to get on something else. Yeah, even the 1968 film was described as more of an uncredited adaptation of the lean film and storyline and and look than of either the Dickens novel or like the stage show. Although again, they they moderate some things. Like for I, I we'll t- probably talk about this when yeah. we watch it, but as I understand in that version in the musical version, Fagin doesn't directly cause like doesn't directly try to get Sykes to kill her. I don't think like he's also very shocked and sad when she dies. So they, that's okay. one of those things they kind of moderate a bit. Yeah. That's a different take. Cause Fagin's definitely a lot more. Yeah. He, no, he's definitely behind it yeah. <laughs> in this one. Yeah, no, that's pretty much all I have Jason. So I guess I'll just ask you, um, twist me around and let me know what you think of Oliver twist. Um, well, like many other movies we've watched, I went into this one with a sense of trepidation. I thought it could be very well be two hours of very boring stuff. Um, I'm I'm kind of glad we got, but I am glad we got this one first uh, versus the musical because I'm glad I got the story down. But this movie's fantastic. Yeah. The thing is, uh, I I should stop doubting David Lean because the first movie we watched was Doctor Zhivago, and that's probably my least favorite least favorite David Lean movie. But even Zhivago was it's great. Solid. Yeah, it's a solid movie. Yeah. But like every other David Lean we've watched since, what are the ones I've seen and ones I haven't? Like Brief Encounter was a movie I did not expect that I would love as much you as I You probably went into Brief Encounter being like, oh, okay. Yeah, I thought, oh, it's going to be a romantic movie. It's black and white, whatever. It's probably going to be long and boring, but it was fantastic. And this is similar where it's just, the filmmaking is so good. All the acting is so good. Like it's it's just, it's a solid fucking watch from start to finish and you can't go wrong with it. Uh, Very modern pace. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it moves, thing, the thing moves. Yeah. Um, I think it's also because there's like there's so many characters, there's so many plot points to get to that the movie doesn't really waste time. Um, I'm right there with you. This is a great movie. Um, it's a great David Lean movie. And it, it brings me... Now, I don't need you to get official, but I do want to mention that there are seven David Lean movies on this list. Now, let's say we keep... the um, Okay, we keep Lawrence of Arabia, and we keep... Um, Bridge on the River Kwai, and we keep Brief Encounter, okay? The top three. If you could pick one more of the remaining ones. So we got Great Expectations. We've got this. We've got uh, In Which We Serve. And there's another one that I'm forgetting, and I feel like an idiot. And Dr. Zhivago. Dr. Zhivago, yes. Thank you. I, I think, I mean, I think we can rest. I think we can easily take Zhivago out of there. I would take Zhivago out of there. No, of those ones that you mentioned left over, yeah, Oliver Twist, 100%. Yeah, I think so too. I, I really liked Great Expectations as well. But I think this is the I think this is the better of the two Dickens movies that he did, and Agreed. I think in which we serve is fine. Like, yeah, no, in which we serve is, is perfectly watchable, absolutely. And 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 Zhivago is solid, but like, yeah, I, I I think we're both on the same page with that. I think those are the four. Yeah, I never thought that I would think of Oliver Twist as like one of the top David Lean movies, yeah. but it definitely is. But yeah, so yeah, I'm on the same page as you, uh, Jason. I I really like this movie. It's a it's a very fun watch. Yeah. Um, very well, very fun watch, but it's a, it's a it's a good watch. It's an enjoyable watch. It's a, it's a nice pace. Yeah, and it will be entertaining to see the the take the musical does on it, to, just in comparison. As much as I am trepidatious about that one as well. Yeah, musicals are so hit and miss for me. <laughs> I do like musicals, and I'm still trepidatious. But I like musicals, but I either like them or I hate them. There's not a lot of in between. There's no musical I feel ambivalent about. Well, I mean, I think you were kind of ambivalent about that Scrooge musical we did. 
I mean, ultimately, though, I would say I wasn't super a fan of it. I probably would never watch it again. Now is the time. Now is the time you've all been waiting for this entire episode. What? What time is it, Jason? It is dice time! Mortal Kombat! <laughs> so happy to that. Oh my god. This is the highlight of my day. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is time for Mortal Kombat. Um, it is time to roll the dice. And what does that mean, Jason? Well, we're going to roll two uh, D10s, a 10s D10 and a 1s D10. One is green, one is red. You don't need to know which is which. But we just, just, just for your uh, the theater of the mind that's going on right now. Um, we're going to roll it and we're going to see if we can get a movie that we haven't seen yet. Now, bear in mind, we, this was movie 78. So there are only 22 movies left on the hundred movie strong list. So this might take a minute. We will change this very soon. Uh, more to come in my hand. I am holding the paper list that Brendan printed, uh, so many years ago. (laughs) It is a mess. It's very old, very folded, but, uh, we are continuing to use it because we respect paper. Yes, we do. So I'm going to roll the dice, Jason, and we're going to find out what number on the BFI Top 100 that we're going to talk about next week. This will be our 80th film, and then after that, we will do a recap again and get right into our final stretch. And then, of course, you know, and now for something completely similar, we'll show up at something. Of course, of course. But here we go. I'm going to roll the 10s one first. Or we're in the 50s. Oh, there's one. Okay. (laughs) How about... 59. Nope, we've already seen the Upcrest file. Okay, it was a good movie, but I don't need to see it again. 20s. Uh, there's one. 21. Nope, that is The Long Good Friday. Okay, okay, here we go. Trying again here, folks. 30s. Yeah, there's one. Two. 35. Next week, Brendan, we will be watching 1938's The Lady Vanishes, as directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Okay, nice. We're nice, gonna, yeah. We're watch the other Hitchcock movie. What was the other one? Uh, we went to 39 Steps. Right, of course. 39 ago. Steps. Yeah, it was a while ago. <laughs> awesome. awesome. I've never seen Lady Vanishes, so oh, I'm great. excited. I've seen it. Oh, okay. Yeah, hope you like it. Did, did she vanish? I'm not going to spoil it for you, Jason. We're going to find out. All right. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great way to kind of wrap up this, uh, this list of 20 here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll talk about The Lady Vanishes. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock, I was going to say presents, but it wasn't an episode of his television show. But until then, um, you can find us all over the interwebs. We are on Facebook. You just search for For Screen. And country. We're on Twitter at uh, BFI underscore pod. Jason, I believe we're also on TikTok. We are on TikTok at For Screen and Country. There's maybe two videos up there uh, at press time. So we're figuring we're, it out. We're figuring, we're figuring it, out. it out. There's no profile photo yet. Just I'm playing with some effects. We'll, you know, we're making it work. Yeah. Maybe we'll put some uh, videos of your dog. I think that would drive people in. <sighs> yeah, I should totally leech off her. She got more followers than we do. That's yeah. for sure. Just to have her plug that, that TikTok each, in each video. You should go to for screen and country. That's how your dog talks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Jason, they can also uh, find you on social media. You can find me at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Come on over. Come on in. Take a look at me. Come on over. Come on in. I don't know anything else in that song. Listen, when you read Jason's tweets, you're going to be like, please, sir, can I have some more? That's right. That's right. You're going to you're gonna think that I am the Shania Twain of Twitter is what you're going to do. <laughs> I've heard that used to describe you many times. 
Um, but un- but uh, yeah, so until then, uh, until we talk about The Lady Vanishes next week, as we wrap up and get to our 80th film, I just have to say to you, Jason, God save the queen. God save the screen. And for Screening Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Good night. Goodbye and Godspeed. And good luck. And good uh, hunting. And good morrow. Good God! Good God, y'all! Twist it till we tear the house down. <laughs>